In high school, I served as the custodian for my church. And that explains a lot for some of you of how I am about things. Uh, it also explains why uh, I really frustrate our cleaning company. But I started out as 14 years old, working there. And we had a list of things to do. And we would go through that list. I worked with another guy there, and that was supposed to be our checklist. As we went through the building, usually on a Saturday, to prep it for Sunday. Until one week, when we kind of goofed off a lot, you can play in a church. There's a lot of cool stuff you can do in a church when no one else is around. Um, we goofed off, and then we went, okay, it's late on Saturday, and I'm sure we had something to do. I didn't have a date, I know that, but we had something to do that evening. So we kind of took the list and went, what has to get done? What will be noticed? What's the minimum that we can do to get this place ready so we can go home? And we figured that out, we thought, and we quickly went through, you know, emptied the trash cans where they could see that, but vacuumed about a spot or two, and we left. And we thought, that worked until Sunday morning. <clears throat> now, you realize something I learned was when you work for a church, everyone's your boss. Everyone's watching. Well, some people started to notice a few things in the restrooms and other places that should have been done that we didn't do. And enough of that got around to the, the gentleman that was in charge of us, got enough word of that, and... Uh, the other problem was his son was the other guy cleaning. Um, and these were really close family member friends, you know. And so the discussion was had between him and my father. And my mother got involved somehow. I can still remember standing in the small little fellowship hall off, off the worship center. Having my mom and my dad be extremely disappointed in me. Sharing that what we do makes a difference, and the minimum is not enough. Or the minimum was the checklist, not just part of the checklist. I still remember that. It impacted me, and I, I changed the way I worked from then on, mostly. Um, but we thought we could get by with the minimum, and we were wrong. We had decided what we thought the minimum was going to be, and we were wrong. You know, I found out later, I don't know if this happened during college when I was in college, but you can take classes now pass-fail. It's a good thing I didn't know that, because I would have done that on as many things. And that's kind of like, you can pass, just do this. You know, if you don't do that, you fail. You didn't have to work for an A, you just had to pass. That was the minimum. You know, I've, there's a term now uh, that I found out about, you know, quiet quitting. That means you just go to your job and you do the least you can and see if you get fired because you want to quit anyway. This idea of the minimum of what you can get by with is what the mentality is in a lot of the world. And the problem is it's also a lot for followers of Jesus too, those that are trying to follow God. And in Jesus' time, the minimum 
was a concept out there. What do I need to do? What's the minimum to please God? And today we're going to look at a story where Jesus encounters a question. And the question is about what's the minimum? And Jesus completely changes what this word means and what the minimum line is for the person asking the question and for us too. So if you would, let's jump right into that text. It's going to come from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 27. I'm going to use this because it's in large print. Jesus is out and he's been teaching and Jesus is always, always getting questions. People would come trying to, some seeking true knowledge or true answers to something, uh, some trying to test him. And we're told today that this question was a test. So beginning in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, that's Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus turns the question back to him. And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus moves to the answer immediately, but not with a statement, but with a story. Jesus replied, A man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. Here the audience go, Yeah! And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The audience kind of went, Hmm. So likewise, a Levite, the crowd cheers again, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and now the crowd goes, huh? Because Samaritans for the Jews weren't people to respect, weren't people to be even considered as people. Jesus says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Then Jesus again asked the question back to the questioner, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Jesus frustrates a lot of his uh, critics by answering questions through stories. The man's question at the beginning was, what's the minimum? What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a really flawed question. If we had time, that's another sermon. 
it's not a good question to ask, especially to ask the Son of God. But he's asking that question, what's the minimum? And Jesus gives him, you know, has him give the answers, but he wants to justify himself. Here in verse, the next verse here, after he's given the answer of love God, love your neighbor, he wants to justify himself. He wants to prove that he is right. He wants to know that what I do, my minimum, counts as loving my neighbor. So he says, who is my neighbor? Jesus, tell me the minimum. Who's the the one or two people I need to be worried about in showing love to? What's the minimum? Jesus tells the story. Because he's changing what the minimum looks like. He tells the story of how there was a man that was in need. And those that we thought would have helped him didn't. And the one that we thought, this guy is no way going to help. A Samaritan is not going to help. He does. And he goes over and does more than just help. And Jesus asks this next question to him. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And I'm sure the guy didn't want to answer this. He knew the answer. After Jesus told the story, he knew the answer. And so he answers back. I'm thinking it's this way. I want to show them mercy. You know, you ever answered that way? You know the answer, but you really don't want to say it. You know, the one who showed him mercy. He doesn't even say the Samaritan. He just says the one who showed mercy. This is the right answer. It's the correct answer. Because this man, as a scribe, as a teacher of the law, he understood the term that Jesus was using. He said, Jesus said, it's the one who showed mercy. This word mercy had a lot packed into it, especially for the Hebrews, for the Jews. Did a little bit of research. There's a Hebrew word that encompasses some of this. It's called hesed, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. Uh, don't send me an email. And I've even found the, uh, the Hebrew part of it here. That's what it looks like. I believe that's true. I have to trust the internet and uh, scholars. But this word hesed is what Jesus was talking about. This is what the man asking the question and giving that answer of the one who showed mercy, the one who showed hesed. It's compassion, it's mercy, it's kindness, it's love. It's a lot of things wrapped together because this word is based on God's love at the very beginning for us. The word hesed meant God's love for us. His mercy, his kindness, his everlasting kindness to us. He knew exactly what this word entailed. And when Jesus points that word back to the Samaritan, it had to bother a lot of his listeners. But here's what Jesus was explaining, this hesed word. If you really want to get a full idea of it, Jesus gives us what this means in the story. Because it's an over-the-top kind of love. Let's go back to the text. But as a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where the man that was hurt was. And he saw him. Now, the other guy saw him too. But I think this is a different 
saw him. He saw the man because the next thing that happened was he had compassion. The first two saw the man and saw a problem to be avoided. They saw an issue to move around. But the Samaritan saw him and he had compassion. But he didn't just go, that's a, that's a really bad thing for that. I feel for that man. Something happened after the compassion. He went to him. He took action. He moved towards the mess of this man because he knew that seeing him and having compassion was enough. If you're really going to illustrate what this mercy is, what this hesed is, he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And it doesn't even stop there. It goes on. The next day, he took out two denarii, fair amount of money. He took out a fair amount of money, gave it to the innkeeper. I'm sure he had already paid for the night before. Gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. What is this mercy? It's an over-the-top kind of love. Jesus, in his stories, when it comes to explaining mercy, he always gave an incredible over-the-top example. This is one of them. Not only did the man see him and help him, he went way beyond. He showed extravagant love that he didn't have to. He went over the top. This idea of mercy, this idea of hesed, Jesus wanted us to get it. And so he told the story because stories stay with us longer than a simple definition. Because of this word, it, it means so much to the Hebrews, and it should mean so much to us. It's an incredible kind of love. Here's what it looks like. It's when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. You get the picture? This is God. The word mercy, the word hesed, sums up in a lot of ways God's love for us. We have no right to expect anything from God, yet he gives us everything. And that's the example Jesus used to say, this is what mercy is. This is what a neighbor does. A, mercy, a merciful neighbor goes above the minimum. The minimum now is this. Jesus sets this as that minimum bar. You want to know what you have to do to be saved? Here's the minimum. Be the neighbor that shows mercy. Hesed. Give to the one that should expect nothing from you. Just like God did for you. Well, he answered that question. He said, it's the one who showed mercy. And here, Jesus answers, really, the man's first question. He goes, who was the neighbor? And the man said, the one who showed mercy. He said, he probably didn't want to say it, but he did. And Jesus then truly answers the man's first question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What, what's the minimum? What's, what's what I got to do? Jesus answered him and said, go and do likewise. See, there's a big part of this word, hesed, that has way more to do with 
actions than with just words and thoughts. It's like, you know, I need to show people mercy. I need to show people love. And in the Jewish mindset, in God's mindset, it's an action. It's not words. It's not thoughts. It's a go and do. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Mercy is an action. It's a verb. It is a thing you do. It's not just something you are. It's something you do. God is showing his hesed for us in what he's done for us. Us showing mercy is something we do. Those key words in the story, the man saw, had compassion, and then he went to him. He went beyond what was expected. He understood that mercy was an action, was moving out, was doing something with this love of God for others. Help us kind of grasp that. I like acronym things, so I, it's pretty easy. We've got the word act. Act is part of action. How in the world do we live out this huge concept of mercy? How do we do what this Samaritan did? How do we love our neighbor like that? How do we show that hesed? Well, the first thing we've got to do to start that is you have to start cultivating an awareness. The man that was walking down the road saw the need. I don't know about you, but I'm really good at moving life through life with blinders on. I can go into the grocery store and be out in less than five minutes. I know, it's pretty impressive. But you can only do that if you put on blinders. Don't worry about other people. Don't worry about other things. Go in, get the items that you need, get to the self-checkout, and go. And you can go through life that way. You can go to work. You can go to school. You can go a lot of places with those blinders on. But the challenge from this story is to cultivate an awareness for needs. See, I think those first two guys, they saw the man, but they had developed that ability to to see and then not see. To see a need, but go, that's not me. That's not my issue. That's not my problem. That's a little bit messy. But the Samaritan, I think, had cultivated an awareness to truly see needs. That's a challenge for all of us. That's a challenge for me. It's a challenge I have for you is to figure out ways to cultivate an awareness wherever you go. What's surrounding you? Who's surrounding you? What needs are there? But don't just stop at that part. It's pretty easy to be aware of all the needs, be aware of opportunities to show mercy, and then go on with life. See, the next step is that you've got to develop, you've got to have compassion for others. See, I think that was the problem for those first two guys. They had no compassion. They saw needs, but they didn't feel it. The Samaritans living out this hesed of God that when you see something that needs to be set right, that needs to be helped, compassion is that feeling inside. Not, not just a, oh, I feel bad for that but compassion that says, I need to do something about this. This one's hard to do. Because a lot of time we have this idea of compassion that means we feel bad for people. 
and we maybe give a little bit of attention to it, but then we go on with our life. This is not the kind of compassion that's in Hesed. It's an overwhelming desire to give to others what they don't deserve from yourself. And that third thing is not just to have those things of being aware and compassion. Like I said, it's an action. It's act. You've got to do something. And it's going to, be taking, it's going to take your time. You're going to have to give time. You may have to give treasure. In the story, the Samaritan did both. He took the time to go interact and to care. He took some of his treasure for the use of caring for this man. See, and that's the biggest struggle for me. And it may not be even the treasure part. I think we're pretty good at that. It's like, well, I, I can, I'll take care of that need. But when you ask for my time, that's something different. It's easy to answer a need and, and have it move on by just giving it some of your treasure. But if you give it your time and your treasure, your heart's going there too. It's moving towards that mess of whatever need you, you see and saying, I'm, I know it's going to take my time. I know it's going to change my trajectory of where I'm going and what I'm doing today. I don't think the Samaritan had plans to do what he did. But because he was going to live out that mercy and show mercy, it required him to make an action and to move and to act and to do something instead of just pass on by the other side. See, and this is the hardest thing, is because we are really good at doing a lot of compassion and mercy up here. I've missed opportunities. In reading a book, uh, uh, Michael Card, a, a writer and, and songwriter, shared an opportunity that just he missed. And it resonated so much in my life. Here's, here's the problem I think we have a lot of time. We see needs and we come up with ways in our head of how we're going to be the Samaritan. We're going to have that incredible mercy. And he shared a story where he was getting on one of those, those buses to go back out to a parking lot to pick up a vehicle. And the, the bus was full. He's the last one that has the space. He said... And, especially because it was dealing with this word hesed, there's a Hasidic Jew that was behind him. And he said in his story, he goes, I got on the bus and my brain went, oh, wait, you know what I need to do? I need to step off the bus and I need to tell this man, take my spot. And as he steps up, I need to whisper to him, hesed. And he said, and I got that, that incredible image of me being the hero and the door to the bus closed and drove off with me on it. I resonate with that because so often we think of ways that we can show mercy. We can be the good Samaritan and it's about us. It's about how we're the hero. And sometimes we are creating those scenarios and we miss the opportunity. I've done it so many times. You know what? I really need to go over there and help that person with their shopping cart. And boy, that would be, an, and then the opportunity's gone. That's why the idea of mercy being something you do is so important, not just something you think. Mercy is something you do. And that's the challenge for us this, 
this year, really, as we come up into the next year. As Scott was talking about, we're looking for ways to be on mission with our vision and how to be owning the extra mile, how to be sharing our faith with others. And that requires mercy. That requires action. Not just thinking about it and talking about it, but doing something. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be messy. The Samaritan moved towards the mess. This, this man was a mess at the side of the road. And it took more than maybe he even expected at the beginning to get involved. But he did it anyway. Because the Samaritan understood that we've been given the gift, that he'd been given the gift that we have no right to ask for. But it was given to us anyway. We were given Jesus as our Savior. We had no right to ask for that. We had no right to ask for God's forgiveness. But he gave it anyway. And the Samaritan understood his life needed to live that out. If he's going to live and show mercy, he needed to do that. That's the minimum. Jesus took the idea, what's, what's the minimum I need to do? What can I get by with? What can I, you know, from the checklist... Give me the two or three things I need to do so nobody notices that I really didn't clean the church building. Jesus says it's not that. You want the minimum? Do for others what they have no right to expect from you. Take action and show the mercy, the hesed of God everywhere you go. That's the minimum. Whew, that's a lot. So that's our challenge for this week and for this next year. How will you make that move to the mess this week with mercy? How will you make that move to the mess during this holiday time with mercy? How will you make that move to the mess throughout 2023 and say, I'm going to take mercy I'm going to take this incredible, overwhelming, over-the-top love for others everywhere I go. Now, that's a challenge. I said, it's, it's difficult for me, and, you know, I'm a minister, but we all are. And because that's such a tough talent, I want to invite one of our shepherds, Jake Herndon, up. Our shepherds, as I tell you many times, they're praying men. They pray for this church. They pray for so many individuals here in situations. They pray that this church will be about our vision. So I'm going to ask Jake to come on up and pray for this challenge for us for this week, for this coming month, for this next year to live out the mercy of God. Jake, thanks, God. Please join me in prayer. Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you give us, for you being a kind, a generous, a forgiving, and a merciful God. And again, we don't deserve any of those things, but we thank you for continually being that for us. And we thank you for the examples of mercy that you and your son give us. Your mercy and love is what allowed him to leave heaven to come and die for our sins. That love 
motivated Jesus to take that action and to give his life for us. And our prayer today is that you will instill with us that spirit of mercy, that spirit of love that we will show to others and that we will strive to be aware of the situations around us that we can step into, that we can help, that we can show your love and your generosity. And as we strive to do this, may we always keep in mind the incredible mercy that Christ showed, that even while on the cross, being crucified unjustly, he cried out to his Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. That is the epitome of mercy. When we can care for others when they are hurting us, when they are killing us. We just pray that you will give us the strength and the courage to look for the situations that you put in our lives where we can help others, where we can devote our time and our resources to serving and helping others. And may we always strive to remember that everything that we have comes from you and that we are only temporary stewards of what you've blessed us with. We pray that you will strengthen and help us to always have a spirit of love and mercy to motivate us to help others and to see others that are struggling, that are without hope, and that need our help and take that kind of action. We pray this, all these things in your son's most holy name. Amen. You want to live a life with no regrets. This is the type of way to do it. I don't think the Samaritan ever looked back and said, boy, I regret doing that. You live a life like this, it's going to be messy. But it will bless you more than you can ever imagine.